0: And welcome back to Say Pod. I am your host, Stephanie Timmy, and today I'm really excited because we're talking about a very important topic, but we also have a very special guest. So we have Laura Ship, who is a PhD researcher, and her work focuses on period apps, tracking, data privacy, which I think is very important, especially since in our previous podcast, we talked about data brokerage, and we talked about who sells our data. And I think what we kind of took from that podcast was that the health sector is something that we really need to look at in terms of our biometric data. So today, we're going to be exploring more into that. Um, But before I ramble on, I'm going to let Laura introduce herself.
1: Cool, thank you. Uh, So, yeah, so I'm Laura. I'm an interdisciplinary PhD at Royal Holloway. Um, And my work features kind of two main uh, subjects, and that is in human geography and cybersecurity. And I'm trying to put those two things together to try and get a kind of more inclusive um, version of cybersecurity that takes uh, into account a broader range of of threats and focuses more on, on, on people that it's impacting rather than like, nation states. So yeah, but um, in, in that I focus on period tracking apps um, and this is kind of a, a part of a new area of tech that's coming out, uh, which is called femtech. Mm-hmm. And that can be anything that has a focus on women's digital health. So yeah, so I particularly look at the privacy and security of that and thinking about how that impacts
0: people when they're using them. Okay, so I think what's quite interesting is that, you know, I think when I I first saw the research and I was thinking period apps, you don't really hear much about them Um, and we don't really think about them being something that is bad because essentially when you think about period apps, you think about it being something that helps you, you know, lets you know when your period is about to come on or let you know when you're over So how do you think you know, the way we track periods has changed over the last 20 years. Yeah, um, I think it's changed a lot,
1: Um, partly just because for a long time, there hasn't been a lot of research on periods in general, like, Mm -hmm. uh, um, yeah, it's just been women's health in general has has been something that's been not hugely, there hasn't, I mean, from from what I know, there's not been like huge leaps in terms of the the kind of... um, knowledge we have about them. Um, for example, like uh, a key or really kind of common uh, d- a disease that is is um, impacting a lot of, of different women is endometriosis. Mm-hmm. And endometriosis is still, I think, the standard like length of uh, time for it takes to get diagnosed is eight years. Wow. So, yeah, so I guess there's um, kind of a big hole in that respect. Um, but I guess, at the same time, uh, generally, the kinds of information that we have about our bodies in terms of what we know about anatomy um, and things is also kind of quite bad. Um, but yeah, I guess the big change in that would be the uh, existence of apps. Um, some of these apps have been around as long as a decade and, and um, now many of them have like millions of users worldwide. So. Although they're quite new, they, um, or certainly the amount of them is really new. Uh, yeah, there's, there's uh, a big user base on, of these apps generally.
0: Mm. Um, does that ask you a question? Yeah, I think what I like that you said is, you, know, you kind of highlight the lack of research in women's health in general, which can also explain why when we think about period apps, we don't also think about the data privacy side of it because yeah you know we haven't gone that far in thinking now what i'm also quite interested in is what made you um research this particular area because i'm not sure but you know with what you said about there being very limited amount of research in this area i can understand that it could be a little bit more difficult to research in other areas I might have like a more stronger wealth of research so what made you interested in researching about period apps and in particular their data privacy
1: yeah I love talking about this because, um, <laughs> yeah, this is where I guess all my enthusiasm comes from. Um, basically, um, when I started this PhD program, um, I, I had a kind of basis in lots of different aspects of cybersecurity. And within that, I noticed that there was often focus on um, kind of, yeah, focus on protecting big organizations or nation states. Um, and it's always about kind of big um or commercial interest that that uh security was supposed to be protecting mm-hmm. um and that comes partly from like the technical aspect of security um but like alongside that i did a, a course in gender and sexuality and one of the things that came up in that was kind of um around contraceptive and contraceptive use and um we talked a lot about that in terms of like bodily autonomy um and yeah that your ability to can kind of know what's happening in your body um and that kind of stuff Mm -hmm. so um and the kind of third aspect of that was finding um that when it came to research about kind of like i said like kind of women's health in general but then also within the security space um you know there's a wealth of 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 information about health apps but i saw that period and uh, anything with a kind of femtech angle was very different from that mm. um so yeah so it was kind of those three things kind of like finding lots of issues with the way uh, i saw cybersecurity at the time and then doing this other course in gender and sexuality which kind of got my interest running in that space and then also looking at this kind of health space and finding that as you said there's just no research really on on period trackers yeah Um, and and what I find really interesting about period trackers is um, and what makes them different from just general health apps is the kind of collection of information that they well yeah that that they collect Um, so alongside the kind of generic health stuff like you might add aspects of your diet and your sleep and things alongside kind of personal information like your date of birth you add things like your sex life and when you're having sex like yeah um lots of different aspects about that it knows when you're menstruating ovulating and it also knows um often apps ask you for some kind of uh, information about why you're using it in the first place like are you trying to avoid pregnancy are you trying to get pregnant so it knows that too it knows that kind of big aspect of your um, life as well so um, yeah and I think in comparison to just health apps which might deal with a part of that but not all of it there's lots of different in my mind issues attached to it
0: mm. no I, I find that very fascinating and I think with what you said about just femtech as well being this kind of new phenomenon is and you know i think it kind of highlights also my struggle with cybersecurity. that why does everything have to be so focused on corporates and not the human element you know in physical spaces we've gone so far in determining you know what is right what isn't right this is the you know parameters of what is acceptable and what's not acceptable but i feel like we still have a long way to go in the um, in the online space um, and now when we think about period apps, you know, why do you think there isn't so much focus on, first of all, the amount of data we're given as users and also where these data is, are, you know, is going to and how it been used? Do you think the responsibility lies with the user in educating themselves and also kind of being mindful of what type of data they're giving away? Or do you think... The responsibility lies with the period companies highlighting and being transparent of you know why they're collecting this data and where this data is going or do you think it you know the responsibility lies with government having to create regulation that protects individuals and users
1: yeah I think that's a really interesting question and I'll, I'll split it into two if, if that's okay yeah. um, so with the first part I think it's, it's really hard for users to kind of make decisions about what do you do with these apps and whether to use them or not, or, or rather I think the answer in most cases is well, I'm obviously going to use them because they're so helpful to my life and in, in you know, in planning things or, you know, I had a horrible time on hormonal contraceptives, so I'm obviously going to try an alternative. So there's lots of, basically, overall, there's a lot of different reasons that people do use these apps. Mm-hmm. Um, and and the kind of functionality it gives them is is really helpful and important to them. But again, like, as you said, I think this is a big issue with security is it doesn't necessarily take into account the fact that this it's going to be something that users want and, and need, um, even though there might be other ways that you could do it or, um, you know, there could be improvement down the line um, in terms of, yeah, the, the product and what it does. But, but yeah, I think I think it's important to, to understand that this is, in a lot of cases, a, a kind of un, indispensable tool to people. Um, as the second part of it, I think it's a really interesting question to determine and think about, like, whose responsibility it is. I think <laughs> if this isn't too like being academic and not um, <laughs> giving you a straight answer, <laughs> um, I think it's a bit of all of them. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's definitely a responsibility of governments to make sure that you know there are regulations in place in terms of what can be collected and how companies operate and protect things. Mm-hmm. Um, for example, the like GDPR, this really important data privacy, Law has, has really radically changed things. Um, I think for a, for a lot of people and the company side, I think it's probably for the for the worst in terms of creating lots of lots of difficult loopholes to or lots of difficult hoops to jump through. Um, and there's definitely stuff to be said about that too. But um, I think that is a really important part because um, it kind of sets the basis for things. Mm-hmm. But I think um, companies also have a lot of responsibility. Um, just not only with complying with the law but making sure that with the data they are collecting they're protecting that in, in a suitable way um, because compliance doesn't mean that um, you know you've got something that is gonna yeah ba- basically c- compliance is quite passive yeah. and you don't really want to be passive with this kind of data you want something that, that's kind of going to be really um, yeah really up-to-date and active um, if that makes sense, and yeah, I, I, and then and then yeah, I think I think there are things you can do as users, mm-hmm. um, and it's I think it can be important. Uh, I just don't know how you do this, but like it's important to for people to know what they're getting into. But I know that that is made deliberately hard as well. Yes. Um, so yeah, particularly through like you know privacy policies being. Extraordinary lengths, or in written in legalese and stuff. So yeah, um, a bit of all, but yeah, there's obviously issues with those as well.
0: You know, I I think. It's quite interesting because when I ask this question, you know, a lot of people say it's a holistic model, you know. The solution is not a one-size-fits-all. Everyone yeah. kind of has to play their path, whether it's government ensuring that they, you know, have um, regulations that are not just, like you said, passive, but also very active and, and very effective in its implementation. But also mm. individuals, for us, you know, also being aware and companies as well being transparent and and it obviously could be very difficult for companies like you said they you know p- private policies are, are are long and they might do other things to not make things as transparent because you know the main aim of the company is to make profit and not necessarily yeah to protect users now i think i'm um, sorry no i was just gonna say um and because of that i think what individuals also need to do is if you feel like a company is um doing unethical practices you are covered by law you know by the gdpr like where does this activism come from i feel like it also has to come from the user as well unfortunately because who's going to have your best interest is ultimately going to be yourself in this position and the government have given you tools even though you know the issue as well is like with the GDPR is some companies tend to just do the bare minimum to for it to be like a checklist, but they're not actually being effective with the um, policies and with the information security systems that they've put in place. So I think we as users, we need to find a way to kind of have like our user activism where we are demanding our rights and holding these companies to you know accountable by using the law. As our arms, but
1: yeah, I think um, I feel like I should, should say as well. There are some companies that that um, try and maintain like as much transparency as possible with within this sphere, which is really cool to see. Um, and it does seem like there are from from talking to a few developers and people behind the the scenes of this tech. It seems like there are lots of complications from their side in terms of fulfilling gdpr but you're right like there we we have these these rights now and it is good to um to exercise them and, and all companies pretty much have to tell you how to do that um whether they do or not is a different matter but um yeah you should you should have um have the, the tools to do that and, and to just kind of outline a few of them there's like yeah you can put in data access requests to find out what um, companies to know about you, um, and what data they hold, uh, you can get uh, data erased, or deleted, and you can get data altered if you want. So that's, yeah, I don't know if that's helpful to state as well.
0: No, I definitely think it is healthy, um, helpful for the users. And kind of going to the point of like that deleting, um, the company that was on our podcast last month, what they do is they essentially delete your data from companies that like, you don't want the, your data to be there on and it also highlights and gives you like a picture of how far your data has gone and who's been sold who has it been sold to which oh, i'm wicked which i yeah which i think is actually quite useful because you know it would be cool to see you know where your data has been sold i know there is a website called um have i been pawned and that kind of shows you Um, where maybe your email might have been compromised due to data leakages that might have happened in companies that your email account is kind of linked to So that's also another important point so now kind of like going back um, to the point you said about terms and conditions and companies kind of creating these legal terms and putting it in languages that are difficult for people to understand you know how important is it for us to read terms and conditions Um, and especially since like you said you know some of these documents one they are long and two they could have language that people might not understand because it's legal terms Um, do you have any tips on ways that they could read these terms and conditions in a much easier way
1: Yeah, Um, well, one of the things we looked at within um, some research we did recently was uh, how readable and understandable privacy policies of period tracking apps are. Mm -hmm. And on the whole, we found that most of them are, in fact, pretty much all of them have something wrong with them, whether that is kind of, yeah, as you say, too long. Um, But a lot of them uh, kind of um, use the term obfuscate, so kind of hide. Things um, within their policies, just to kind of, from a legal perspective, cover all of their bases. But it does mean when you're trying to read it and decipher what's happening within the policy, um, it can be really hard. Um, and, and overall, we found that no policy really kind of fit, uh, had a kind of happy medium between being long enough to cover everything that they should, like those GDPR aspects we were talking about earlier. Um, you know, data collection. How to kind of contact the company? Few of them have all of that stuff, and also providing it in a clear and accessible way. So I guess there's there's definitely that aspect of it, which means that yeah, if you're trying to, if even if you are reading them, it can be really hard to know what's really going on. Mm. Um, But in terms of things that could be helpful to look out for. some policies have a summary at the start, um, which can be a really good way of of seeing what's going on at a glance without having to delve through the uh, yeah more complex areas um, later on. Uh, and another good place to start is is just to s- jump straight to data collection, which should tell you a bit about yeah what they what they've got on you. Um, that makes it sound like <laughs> way more sinister, but you know what they are collecting. Um, And if you can, also third parties, so you can see where that's going. Um, And some policies also have keyword sections, which can be really helpful in terms of deciphering what is going on. Um, Because in in aspects like third parties, sections of policies, lots of the words they use like um, device identifiers, which is a kind of piece of technical information uh, that links, uh, is is unique to your device. So it's a way of kind of following you around the internet, if you will. yeah, that, that can be hard to, to know about, if, unless there's a some kind of bit of information about that. Help. Mm. So yeah, so those are kind of three areas to look at. Um, but yeah, on the whole, they, they can be really bad, to be honest. Um, and that's because they're also they're, they're legal documents alongside being something the user is supposed to use, which I think is a bit of
0: a problem, really. Yeah. yeah. And I think, yeah, because especially since when you look at those uh, privacy policies, a lot of them could be easily um done into a mini summary and in a language to you know that's easy for the users to say this is what we're collecting these are the reasons why we're collecting it and this is where your data is going because essentially that's all you want to know you know why are you collecting these specific data that you're asking from me and where is my data going to and how long will it be stored and just think yeah that, you know this little things like that i think it could be easily just said in like a bullet point um but then it kind of leads me to my next question and this is kind of going back to the point when we you were talking about gdpr and you said that you know when you spoke to developers of these period apps A lot of them said that, you know, it was very hard for them to comply with the GDPR. Um, And I've also heard this from other developers that there is this tug of war um, between period apps offering free services and making profits, essentially. And how, you know, where do you think the balance lies between those two or where do you think are the difficulties in developers complying with the GDPR when you're working on these type of apps?
1: Yeah, I think that's a really interesting question. And I think there's like possibly a few different ways of, of, of balancing this and maybe coming up with some solutions. Um, I think I think that they all have have their issues still, but I think one way of, of potentially doing it is having some kind of publicly funded um, app yeah, or software that is is kind of coming from money that isn't profit driven, if that makes sense, or like the aim isn't profit driven. Um, and, And where I've kind of seen this work well, um, in fact, I think it's great, is um, in Berlin there is a a feminist collective called Bloody Health that have uh, developed this open source, not-for-profit, transparent period tracker. Mm. Um, And they did that through a pot of money that uh, a kind of grant scheme that the German government was running. Um, so I think that worked really well, kind of having and, and, and seeing more kind of publicly funded software could be really cool. But obviously, the flip side of that is that if you have a government that's not going to want to put this money into this kind of stuff, or, you know, you have to be careful that then that's not kind of, you know, like, I, I'm sorry, I've kind of gone off on a tangent there. But I mean, like, track and trace in the UK is was found um, not to comply with GDPR, for example. So you have to also make sure that yeah, governments are complying when they develop if if they're funding this kind of software and developing it, and also um, that there's no kind of uh, control or uh, government intervention in that software development as well. Um, but yeah, and then I guess the other option is to have something that could be um, part of healthcare provision. Um, mm-hmm. I think that's being discussed more uh, where we're seeing things like menopause tools or um, yeah, diagnosis tracking apps as a way of um, helping people live with or diagnose conditions. So so seeing it as part of like a healthcare system could be interesting as well. Mm. So that it has to be compliant because it's part of that system but also um, there is kind of a way of paying for it that isn't something that the user has to do. Um, yeah, and then I guess like on a short term kind of basis, um, subscription services are, are quite a good way of of making sure that that's not the case because you're, you're funding it with your money, not your data. Mm-hmm. Um, whether that works in reality, there's there's kind of research on that, but um, certainly from what I've seen in the period space, that seems to be a way of protecting, protecting your privacy a bit more. But obviously there's a cost attached to that, so yeah. Um, I don't
0: know. That that was quite long-winded, but I think yeah, there's lots of maybe different uh, possibilities. Yeah. No, no, no. I appreciate it. Even um, with, I had no idea that Germany, um, the Germany government actually funded an open source. So this this is also very important for those listening who might be thinking of developing. an app or a period tracing app that doesn't infringe the rights of his users. So that's quite important to know. Um, yeah. Now I wanted to kind of ask, I wanted us to kind of move, move away now and kind of dive more into the academic side of things. So I know you've done a lot of research in this space, but which research would you say has impacted your thesis thinking about this area the most? yeah um
1: well ah, oh, it's hard to, it's hard to pick There's so many but um i think when i was first coming to the area mm-hmm. i found some such cool research that was being done in the kind of privacy rights space like so organizations that work on this issue um yeah, kind of trying to, to raise awareness about it and, and conduct their own research given that there wasn't anything else, mm-hmm. uh, there wasn't anything in the kind of um, academic space. Um, and some really cool ones of those, um, there's this really great group called Coding Rights okay. and they did this little, um, for this piece of research about um, different apps and some of their privacy policies and practices and who some of their funders were, um, for example, um, Uh, so, so PayPal's, one of PayPal's co-founders, Max Levchin, Mm -hmm. I hope I'm saying that right. Um, he is one of the co-founders of a period tracker and a whole kind of period fertility, uh, assisted fertility company now. Um, so just things like that, like them pointing out those kind of links was super helpful. Um, And then there's also, um, Tactical Tech did a report with a group called Arrow for Change, which is like reproductive rights group. And again, they did a really cool piece of research about about this and um, doing some investigative stuff into where is money coming from. Um, So yeah, so that group of of kind of research has been super helpful for me. Um, Otherwise, again, when I was first coming to the issue, there's a researcher at Cornell called Karen Levy mm-hmm. uh, whose work I found um, on intimate surveillance okay and this was just like yeah, really cool area um, to come across and so thinking about the ways that uh, our relationships and intimate experiences are being kind of mediated and surveilled using technology um, and and its there's kind of she uses some more kind of oh, I don't know the word like uh scary example, shall I say, of, like, stalkerware and wow. um, that kind of stuff as well. Or, like, sex tracking, but... Wow. Um, where someone else tracks. Or, or like, where... But there's, like, these apps that have like horrendous names where you can track someone else's period and if you have like more than one person on the go you can track multiple periods it's very oh wow <laughs> <Perfect>. <laughs> um, so like hilarious. yeah so point me to all of that kind of stuff which is really cool um oh and there's really another really cool person called M- Mary Louise Sondergaard mm-hmm. um who does loads of kind of like work on design and um yeah
0: and, and yeah, I just found, I found her work really helpful too. I should probably start there, I No, th- these are pretty really cool. I think um, also if you can like send these lists, we can also attach it as part of the period, um, the period podcast. So that when people go okay, to, cool. to um, listen to this, they can also kind of see the links that are mentioned. But wow, you know, I never thought that there would be, Something called sex tracing. Is it sex tracing or sex
1: tracking? Um, Sex, uh, I don't know if it's a a specific name, but like sex tracking apps. um, And I've seen things like there's like a sex, um, like a sex Yelp or something. It's probably been taken down now, um, which is probably a good thing. Um, thing. Where you could like rape people after you've had sex with them. And then I think it was mostly used by women to check whether like if you were going to meet up with someone that they were
0: not going to kill you yeah yeah exactly (laughs) put you in danger (laughs) okay okay no okay no but that makes sense though but um... yeah that makes
1: that definitely makes more sense but I think there's the other the flip side of that potentially as well but I don't know um hopefully it's moved on since then um but yeah
0: okay well you know now that we're on controversial topics (laughs) (laughs) i think it'll be very interesting for us to also talk about what has happened in the mainstream media um and i was kind of like looking when we're having you know before this podcast i was thinking let me see if there's any controversial article out there about our favorite you know period apps and Mm. one of like um, the articles I, I saw and this was in 2019 so uh, things would definitely have changed since this article just want to mention that but it's also interesting to kind of look back in history to see what went wrong and why so this article um, looks at period tracing apps and saying that they had a um, there was like a data share with Facebook um, and this was kind of scary especially in regards to like the sexual information that we talked about being included in apps like flow um and how you know what was facebook doing this and why does facebook know more about your sexual history than even you yourself essentially was like the argument Mm -hmm. in this um so you know in your in your opinion like when you saw the article what did you think about it
1: yeah um so Yeah, this was really interesting when this came out, um, because basically the problem is is not so much with Facebook, but how the developers of each of the apps were using Facebook software. Mm. So on the whole, every app in some sense has a third party connected to it, because it's really hard to do things on the internet alone. Mm. Um, So if you want a Facebook like button, you have to have Facebook in some way embedded in the app, if that makes sense. Um, so Facebook produces all of these tools for developers to use and to provide different functionality in their apps. Um, but where the problem where the problem was in this case was that those development kits, these the called software development kits, weren't implemented correctly within those apps and. Um, Was expanded by Privacy International and they found it was the case with quite a number of period trackers. Um and obviously yeah, it has really serious privacy implications because yeah, that then that information is going to Facebook. Um and so the fact they didn't do anything about it was is not also is is a problem that Facebook did have. But um but yeah, so um in the industry in the whole this was yeah this is definitely something that was happening on quite a large scale mm-hmm. and it has been um largely fixed now from what I can see um but we found uh similarly that, that, that almost all of the apps that we looked at I think 29 out of the 30 embedded some kind of of third party and uh, I, I mean I can't remember the stats off my top of my head but not all of those disclosed what they were sharing with um the you know those third parties and in in what kind of detail they were sharing it with um and the interesting thing about again the facebook example is that this wasn't necessarily um them you know copying your date of birth or when you had your period directly to facebook servers Mm -hmm. but through their um, these things called app events it was kind of slowly leaking this information every time you did something within the app Um, so it was a technical data uh, it was technical data that was being shared, but then that data you could obviously infer things from. Um, so I think this this is something that shows, or this shows a, a kind of big issue within the industry, which is that um, you don't necessarily have to have the detailed stuff that you might be entering in order to make inferences about um, you and your period uh, through through the app. It, it, does that make sense? Like. It doesn't yeah. need to necessarily be like the p p i um yeah the p i i stuff it can be the technical stuff that gives stuff away
0: does that make sense it does i think what you're you're trying to um say is that it doesn't necessarily it's not as black and white as the the you know the type the title of the article sounds like facebook knows more about your sex life than you do you know that's quite like baity but i think what you're highlighting is that there were technicalities or vulnerabilities that they found that were leaking this data not necessarily in a clear-cut way but nonetheless the data was being leaked exactly and that also then highlighted a potential problem and if this data is being leaked how and why and you know what would be the implications of that leakage
1: yeah I think um, on the whole that's really I think that's quite a difficult thing to know, especially as a user um yeah. because in so many ways it's unclear what is happening like it, it's unclear to you in the policies and things uh, about what's happening with your data um so you don't really know the kind of trail that's created, unless I guess you do this research like with the like you were talking about earlier um yeah, it seems quite difficult to know how it might follow you around in the future. Um,
0: but but yeah, um, sorry, what was the other part of the question? So I think we've kind of just discussed, you know, what your thoughts were on the article. And I think the other question now following on from that is now when we're looking at this, what are the private issues of the industry as a whole?
1: Yeah, because I, I think, I, I guess a, a big part of um, the issues that we've identified is just how, how period data is treated in comparison to other data. So we found that, yeah, around 66% of apps didn't specify that they collected any period data within their policies, but all of those needed um, some kind of period data to use the app in the first place not to set it up and stuff. Mm-hmm. So, um, I think that's a really big issue within the um, kind of field generally, is that, yeah, you've got all kinds of groups and actors coming into the period tracking, like, scene, um, and they're not necessarily thinking about how this data requires different protection than other kinds of data. Um, so we saw lots of kind of game companies or, um, apps that might make things like, like flashlight, uh, apps alongside this, but then they've also now got Period Tracker. Um, and I think that's a really big issue because there's, yeah, there's new apps coming up every day, it seems. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think that, that's a, that's a big issue.
0: No, I totally agree with you. And I think, um, to kind of like finalize on that because now we've kind of seen the problems um what who are the organizations i know you've already mentioned them some already um but who would you suggest the listeners should go to do more research on um if they (coughs) want to find out more about ways to equip themselves in regards to this topic um and in case they might want to support an organization working in this space uh, whether it's by a retweet awareness or donations
1: Yeah. um, Well, to give a bit more information about um, the one I've uh, already mentioned, um, so that app is called Trip, and uh, although it's only available for Android, um, it's, yeah, definitely one of the best period trackers I've used, as well as being, you know, a really great transparent app. Um, And, yeah, you can find that on the Play Store and on on their website for more information. um, And you can support them, I think, Um, financially as well. Uh, And yeah, just retweeting anything that they do would be great. Um, In terms of uh, probably the other best app I've seen in the more commercial space, Clue seems to do really well at making sure the user is informed about uh, what's happening to their data and trying to be transparent and, uh, you know, stay true to what the user kind of needs in that respect as well um, in terms of data protection so I definitely check them out as well in terms of if you want a a period checker for um, an Apple phone that has kind of good a good um, what's the word Uh, attention to privacy and good yeah Um, yeah and then I I would say like as we were talking about before looking at policies and Uh, Seeing how you can access your data can be a really useful thing. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah,
0: I think I'll leave it there. Okay. No, thank you so much for that. You've been amazing. Um, Final, 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 what would you say are your final tips for those who are, you know, I know you kind of gave them different apps that they could use, but are there other tips you think? might be useful for the listeners, whether that's by them reading the terms of conditions or um, changing settings on their phones that might be um, sharing data? Yeah. Um, Yeah. Okay. so I've got a few. I'll reel reel them off. Mm -hmm.
1: Um, So if you can do a bit of research before, when you're looking for an app, that's a really good thing to do. A lot of people like The Guardian have done um, little reviews of apps and um, yeah, so just doing a bit of research if you can is a good way of starting off. Um, a lot of apps will ask you if you want to um, personalize things about um, your experience in the app. So things like, um, you it might ask you to personalize your advertisements. Opting out of that is also a really good way of um, you know, just just uh, protecting yourself a little bit more, um, and and again, a lot of apps will ask you for um, certain kind of permissions. That might be uh, when you first download and open it. It might say things like, "This app wants access to your camera," mm-hmm. um, and again, it's just best to. The, the permissions are basically ways of alerting you that there's could be a privacy issue within your app. So um, if you can opt out of those without it causing too much issue in the app, I would definitely recommend that too and yeah sometimes it is worth paying for apps um, if you can um, just, just to yeah just to remove ads and potentially remove any extra collection of information about you um, so yeah I think I'll leave it there
0: alright thank you so much Laura for thank you for having me <laughs> for sharing your, your wisdoms and your pearls um, I think how, how would our listeners connect with you if they wanted to find out more about your research and see how it develops, what's the best way they can reach you? Uh,
1: yeah, probably Twitter. Um, so I'm at ShipLaura with two P's, and I'm hoping to put some kind of um, report about the study we've just done on there as well, like in in small little uh, bites. So yeah, that's probably the best way to find me.
0: Okay. Well, thank you for listening. Um, and just to finish off, you know, Sadia, Sopod um, is part of Sadia, and Sadia is a social enterprise that helps Black, Asian, and minority ethnic women um, build cybersecurity careers. And this podcast is just another way of us actually helping um, Black, Asian, and minority ethnic women by giving them knowledge and tools needed to be secure online. Um, a little bit of an announcement, we just launched our social media channel for this podcast. So if you wanna follow us, we are X on Instagram and Twitter. So do check us out. And if you wanna follow our sedia page is S-E-I-D-E-A-S-I, and that's the same name for our Twitter and our Instagram. Thank you for listening and see you guys in the next episode.